Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. If you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you would know that we're in the middle of a series called Live Differently or Live Different. And essentially, we're unpacking the book of 1 Peter. And in this book, we see that Peter is writing to a bunch of Gentile Christians across the Roman Empire, mostly in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. And he's encouraging them to live like Jesus, to live different in a culture that is different to Jesus's values. And so he encourages them to live different. And as we've been unpacking this book each week, we're looking at it, hey, what does it look like for us as Christians today to live different in a more and more post-Christian culture? What does it look like for us to live different. And so this morning, I want us to jump right in. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to open them up or turn them on? It's going to be on the screen as well. And as I'm reading this Scripture this morning, I want, to, I want you just to, to listen to it, but just ask God, God, what is it that you're wanting to teach me this morning? What are you wanting to reveal to me today? So 1 Peter 1, 13, in, my, uh, in the NLT, it's called A Call to Holy Living. It says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the Scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And I'm going to skip down to verse 22. It says, you were cleansed from your sin when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living Word of God. As the Scriptures say, People are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And that Word is the good news that was preached to you. So get rid of all evil behaviour, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Why don't you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we just want to invite you and your Spirit to come and to minister to us this morning. Lord, as we unpack your Word, would you be encouraging us, but would you be challenging us to grow into more and more people like your Son, Jesus? In a culture that that doesn't shout Jesus, we want to be people who live different, people who are a light, people who are the salt of the earth. And so God, we just pray that this morning, You would be encouraging us. You would be blessing this word to us as we unpack it together. And all together we said, Amen. 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 Now, I don't know what stood out to you. That was quite a long portion of Scripture. I don't know what stood out to you. But for me, I just get this picture of what it looks like to be a family, right? Once we accept the gift of salvation, we're united under Christ and under God the Father as brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm reminded that we're children as well. And just like a children need to mature into adults, there's actually a call in this for us to grow up in our salvation. The NLT we just read there says, crave spiritual milk so you grow into a full experience of salvation. But I like what it says in the NIV. It says, 
Crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. You may grow up in your salvation. And I reckon that's a challenge for us this morning that God's got in store for us, to grow up in our salvation, to grow up. And I want to preface this morning by saying that I know when I get up and preach here in the past, I tend to use illustrations of my children quite a lot. I'm sorry for that. I've tried to steer away from it. But as we look at what it looks like to grow up this morning, I'm going to talk about my kids a lot, okay? So I'm just, I'm like apologising, Sammy, but also I don't mind talking about my kids, so it's all right. All right, I don't know about you, but when I was a child, I remember I just could not wait to grow up. I just wanted to be an adult, right? Because all the adults got to do the cool things. I wanted to sit at the adult table at dinner because they seemed to have better meals. It wasn't two-minute noodles. You know, I wanted to be able to stay up later at night. I wanted to be able to watch the TV shows, the movies. I just wanted to grow up. And I remember we got a dishwasher when I was about six or seven and only mum and dad ever touched the dishwasher. And so I remember one day pestering, mum, mum, come on, I want to grow up. I want to help unpack the dishwasher. Can I please help unpack the dishwasher? And she said, of course you can, right? And then I unpacked the dishwasher every other day of my life since then. (laughs) Bad mistake. But as kids, all we want to do is we want to grow up. And it seems my conversations with my three-year-old at the moment are just just livid, not livid, just filled with this conversation of, Dad, I want to grow up. I want to be big and strong. I want to be big and strong like you. You know, she'll smell chewing gum on my breath at the moment. And she'll say, Dad, what is that? Now, can I have some chewing gum? And I'll say, no, not quite yet, sweetie. Maybe when you're older. So she'll run over to her mum and said, Mum, when I'm big and strong, I get to eat dad's spicy lollies. <laughs> when she wants to grow up, the other day I was getting ready for, for work. I was getting changed. And um, Zoe comes running into the room she, and she stops in her tracks and she just goes, Whoa, dad, when I get big and strong, am I going to have a big butt like you? <laughs> I said, Excuse me, thank you. It's proportional, I'll have you know. And. Um, Probably you will. <laughs> but you know what, kids, we, we just want to grow up and maybe you've experienced this or you've experienced it in your children's life or maybe in the life of your siblings, but it's, it's this common notion that kids just want to grow up. I reckon the vice is also true for some of the adults in this room. You're like, man, a daytime nap doesn't sound too bad, does it? We want, we don't, we want to be kids again. I remember when my biggest issue in life was that I got a pink plate instead of a blue plate. You know, some of us want, just want to age down a little bit. But as kids, all we want to do is grow up. And as a parent, I look to my daughter and I say, hey, just savour these moments. You know, just enjoy being a child. Just savour it. But that's not what Peter tells us to do in this scripture here. What's interesting is that I think Peter's telling people to grow up. It's a challenge and it's a personal challenge for us. He's telling us to grow up in our salvation. And this morning I want us to unpack what that means because we know that salvation is a gift, right? It's something that's freely given to us when we put our trust in Christ and in Christ alone. Salvation is a gift. And so what does it mean for us to grow up in this gift? We know that we can grow our relationship with God. We know that we can mature in our faith. But how do we grow up in our salvation? That's what I want us to lean in to this morning. And as I've been doing my research, and some of you would know that when we look at salvation, a lot of theologians would say that there's kind of three different steps in our salvation. The first step is the step of justification. It's that moment when you first encounter God and you invite Jesus into your life. It's justification, that new birth into a living hope that Andrew talked about a couple of weeks ago. The second step is the process of sanctification. These are big words, I know. But sanctification is essentially this process of being set apart, 
the part where you begin to live differently. God begins to make you holy. And then the third step is glorification, the final removal of sin, where you stand faultless before God for all eternity. There's three processes justification, sanctification, glorification. And this morning, I want us just to unpack this process of sanctification, right? The process of living differently. As Peter writes about it here, he says, where you grow up in your salvation. And I reckon there's a lot of similarities between what it looks like for a child to grow up and mature into an adult and what it looks like for us to grow up in our salvation. So I'm going to be drawing on a couple of those parallels this morning. But I want us to jump back into the Scripture because there's, there's three key things that I want us to point out. i got a bucket here as well. Don't get distracted by that. We'll use that at the end. I'm distracted by that, so don't worry. Let's jump back into the Scripture. Back in verse 13, it says, So, other translations say, therefore. And usually in the Bible, when we read this, it means what we're about to read needs to be read in the context of what we've just read. That's not just in the Bible. That's actually in everything. That's what therefore means, in case you didn't know. And so what's just happened is that Peter has been telling the disciples, not the disciples, the exiles and the wanderers throughout the Roman Empire, that they've been given a new birth into a living hope through Jesus. Right, So that through Jesus, they've been given this new life. They've been given this gift of salvation. And he says that now you've received that gift. So now prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in the world. And so as Christians, we've received this gift of salvation, but in order to grow up in that salvation or to grow up in our salvation, we must prepare ourselves for action and exercise self-control. See, an important part of of growing up and maturing is learning to exercise self-control. On Friday, it was Zoe's third birthday. Woohoo, lucky Zoe. Anyway, so on Thursday... My wife, Soph, was making a cake and she invited Zoe into the process of making the cake. And Soph's an incredibly loving, generous, caring mother. And so what she did is she gave Zoe one of um, like the egg beater panel, uh, the whisk thing that's attached to an egg beater, an egg beater, but like half the egg beater to lick off. And so (laughs) does everyone know what I mean when I'm talking about that? Okay, great. Anyone know what it's called? An egg beater, a whisk. Anyway, she's got half an egg beater in her hand. She gives it to Zoe and Zoe eats, eats the cake batter. It's like this mind-blowing experience. How good is cake batter? It's not even cooked yet. And she eats it all up. She eats it really quickly. And then what does she say? She says, Mom, I want more. Actually, I need more of that cake batter. And so reluctantly but graciously, Soph gives her the other egg beater part and she eats all of that as well. And she goes, Mom, I want more. I need more. And Soph says, well, that's that's all you've got. You can't have any more. But then Zoe notices a bowl on the bench. She says, what's that? And Soph goes, that's the icing. And she's like, mm, do I like icing? I think, mum, I think I need icing. I think I need to eat the icing right now. And Soph has to explain, no, it's going to go on the cake and you can eat it later. But what would happen if Soph wasn't there? Right? The cake would never get baked because all the batter, all the icing would be made up already. The, the, re- the reality is, is that Zoe hasn't mastered the art of self-control, but she has mastered the art of self indulgence. You see, in order for us to grow up in our salvation, we need to prioritise self-control over self-indulgence. And I reckon indulgence comes naturally to us, right? I don't know how or why, but it's almost built into who we are. And so as a parent, it's my role to help my children learn self-control. 
Help them to take control of their indulging. I need them to understand that it's not healthy or beneficial for them to indulge in everything that they can get their hands on. It's not going to be good for them in the long run. And so it makes sense for me to have that relationship with my kids, right? I teach them what it means to exercise self-control. But I want us to make this a bit personal this morning. If you were to look at culture around you, if you were to look in the mirror at yourself, would you say that you're a person who exercises self-control or exercises self-indulgence? Maybe for a lot of us, it's a, it's a little bit of both. And I think sometimes it's hard to know if you're indulging in something too much. And so I want to encourage us to use this as the barometer, right? I think it becomes self-indulgence when you consume something at a level that it's no longer healthy for you. Right? It's no longer beneficial for you. And I reckon, if we're being honest, it's something that all of us struggle with. You know, maybe you're good with your self-control when it comes to your eating or to your exercise, or maybe you're good with self-control in in your spiritual rhythms. Maybe you'd say this is something that you can exercise really well in your life, but I reckon we all have our vices. You know, maybe for some of us, it's the, the ones that first come to mind, sex, drugs, alcohol, social media even. But I reckon if we dig a little bit deeper, if we become a bit more honest with ourselves, I reckon there's even other things, other areas in our life where maybe we lack self-control and we instead lean into self-indulgence. You know, maybe you have a habit of, of spending too much. You keep buying things outside of your means, things that you can't afford. Perhaps for you, it's a, it's a habit of gaming that you're playing at a level that it's no longer healthy for you. It's starting to impact your relationships. Maybe for you, and this is a challenging one for many of us, maybe you're indulging in your work too much and it's actually becoming unhealthy for you, for your family. It's not beneficial to you anymore. You see, it can be difficult for all of us. But what I know is that even though it's difficult, Peter calls us to live different. Where the culture and the world around us leads into this self-indulgence, Peter encourages the believers to grow up in their salvation by exercising self-control. You see, you might be here this morning, you think, well, James, I hear you, but that's just not me. I'm terrible at self-control. It's not my strength. I don't have the willpower. It's not something I can do. I want to encourage you this morning with the words that Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy. He says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Or in Galatians, we see the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, patience, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, when you receive the gift of your salvation, you've also received the gift of the Spirit at work in your life. And the Spirit isn't one of self-indulgence of fear, but it's one of self-control. And so you might be saying, hey, look, James, self-control is just not my strong suit. Well, that's lucky because it is for the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit fills you with its gifts, including self-control. But that being said, there are things that we can implement in our life that help us to exercise that spiritual gift of self-control. And the thing I want to encourage us to do this morning as believers is to practice it. It's simple, right? If you want to get better at something, you, you practice it. I want us to treat it like a muscle. You exercise it to grow stronger. So with the little things, you practice it. So when the bigger things come, it's easier to exercise self-control. And maybe for you, it means that, hey, don't let Netflix autoplay to that next episode. Go to bed, get some sleep, you know you need it. Practicing self-control. You know, maybe for you, after a long, hard day at work, don't sit on the couch with a block of chocolate, just leave it in the fridge. Practice some self-control with the little things. You know, at the shopping centres, don't use the escalator, take the stairs next to it. It's good for you. Practice self-control. Treat it like you're climbing a mountain or something. You know, it's fun. Maybe for you, when you're scrolling your social media and you see that inappropriate photo, keep scrolling. You don't need to stop on it. Practice self-control. Better yet, remove that account. You see, we need to practice self-control with the little things 
because it makes the bigger things easier. You've already done the groundwork. So we need to prioritise self-control over self-indulgence. If we keep reading in 1 Peter, we get to verse 14. It says, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy, for the Scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. I want us to take note of the, the first statement that Peter says in that. He says, you must live as God's obedient children. You see, in order to grow up in our salvation, we need to be like obedient children. And if I'm being honest this morning, it's, it's pretty hard for us, for me and Soph, to figure out if we've got obedient children yet because one is too young and doesn't understand what we're saying and the other just refuses to listen to what we're saying. You know, sometimes it feels, and, and I love my daughter, she is getting better. She's starting to understand the like, consequences and how to listen and the big things that matter. But sometimes it feels like she's on a personal vendetta to do the opposite of everything that we say. You know, heaven forbid I ask her to put her shoes on, you know, or, or I ask her to get the pink cup instead of the blue cup. But sometimes, it, 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 and I say this in jest, sometimes it feels like somewhere along the line, the wires have gotten crossed and it's just programmed into her to do the opposite of what I ask her to do. You see, there's this, opposition, there's this opposition of being told what to do and she doesn't like being told what to do. And what's funny is that I don't like being told what to do either. And I would hazard a guess that a whole bunch of us here this morning don't like being told what to do. And I, and I believe that's maybe one of the issues we sometimes find it hard to obey what God is telling us to do because we don't like being told what to do. And so we find ourselves in opposition to God. So we need to choose obedience and not opposition. Peter writes, so you must live as God's obedient children. You must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. You see, this whole idea of growing up in our salvation, this whole idea of the redemptive plan is to make us holy like God. And you don't become holy by slipping back into the old ways of living, by listening to the whispers or the shouts even of the culture around you, but by being obedient children, by living differently to the world around you. You see, as a parent, Often I will make decisions on the behalf of Zoe that are going to be better for her in the long run because I know what's good for her. You see, if it was up to her, she'd stay up as late as she could every single night and we'd all wear the consequence of that, right? She'd be grumpy. We'd have to deal with a grumpy child. She, she, we'd lo- the next day would just be an absolute nightmare. And so she treats me like I'm the opposition. Like how dare I tell her that it's bedtime? All I'm trying to do is help her. And I wonder if our relationship with God is sometimes like that. Like we don't, we don't like being told what to do, even when it's probably better for us. You see, at bedtime, Zoe just wants to be happy. She just wants to live in this moment and make the most out of this moment. But what she doesn't know is that if she does that, tomorrow she'll be robbed of all the joy because she'll be grumpy and angry all day and she'll miss out on what tomorrow brings. You see, as a parent, we have more perspective of the long game. We know the outcomes. And, and I wonder today if God is calling some of you to be obedient but you're ignoring him because right now you're happy. Right now you're comfortable. Right now you're okay with how things are going. You just want to stick in this moment that maybe you lack the long-term perspective. Maybe you lack God's perspective. And he's asking you to be obedient and and right now for you it might be hard, but it's in the long game that we find the win. You see, as Christians, we're called to be set apart. We're called to live different. 
in a culture that seeks these fleeting moments of happiness, we're called to be obedient and seek holiness over happiness. We're to be obedient to God's plan. If we keep reading verse 22, it says, You were cleansed from your sins, and when you obeyed the truth, so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. You see, to grow up in our salvation is to show self-control, is to become obedient children, and it's also to show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. See, just as a kid needs to learn how to love your siblings, Peter is calling you to learn how to love those around you with a sincere love. You know, when we had um, our second daughter, Lucy, our oldest, Zoe, was just smitten, right? She loved Lucy with all of her heart. She was the greatest thing in the world. If we're being honest, she probably treated her like her own live action doll, right? It's like, this is my opportunity to be mum. I'm going to nurture this baby. And who knows that a toddler's love can be dangerous, right? So she tries to put Lucy in a baby carrier and carry her around. She tries to change her nappy. She tries to push her to, to crawl and, and, to, and to walk. And it's a dangerous sort of love. But man, Lucy, uh, Zoe loved Lucy. She was all caught up in her. But as Lucy's gotten older, Zoe's had to learn a different kind of love. Well, she's had to learn what it means to be a loving, caring, big sister. And sometimes that's not always as fun, is it? She's had to learn that a loving sister shares. And maybe Zoe wants that at the moment, but actually Lucy's got it at the moment. She has to learn to share as she loves. She's learned that maybe sometimes, also I should say she's learning this. She's in the process of learning. But she's learned that maybe sometimes loving is boring. Because maybe your sister doesn't want to do what she wants to do. Or maybe she can't do what she wants to do. So to be a loving big sister means sometimes it's going to be boring. Maybe sometimes being a loving big sister requires hard work. Mate, Zoe just wants to sit on the couch, but maybe mum and dad needed to go and fetch a, a nappy or a rag or a bottle. You see, loving her little sister requires hard work. And it's very quickly and very easy for the loving big sister to turn to loathing as Zoe realises that she's not the baby anymore. And maybe now she doesn't get the same attention because there's someone else around or she has to share what once she only thought was hers. You see, it's easy for love to become loathing. And, and I know loathing's not a word we use a whole lot, but it also starts with an L. And I think you guys get the picture, right? We need to prioritise being loving people over loathing. See, Peter calls us to love each other like brothers and sisters, not to loathe. And the reality is, is that love... Love can be really hard work. You know, it's easy to loathe someone. It eats you up on the inside, but the action of loathing is easy. But man, loving can be hard sometimes. It's not always easy. Love requires work. It, re it requires sacrifice. And I'd be willing to guess that there's people in all of our lives that we, that we can bring to mind that are hard to love. Maybe they're here with you today, you know? Awkward. But Peter says, love them with all your heart. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that just seems impossible, right? Like I can't do that in my own strength. I don't have the patience for that person. I don't understand why they do things that way. It's hard to love some people. But you see in 1 John, it says that God is love and whoever lives in love lives in God. And then in verse 19, it says that we love because He first loved us. You see, your love for your brothers and sisters comes out of a response to God's love. And it's just a natural response. In that same book of 1 John, it then goes on to say, if you claim to love God, but don't love your brothers and sisters, you're a liar. See, that's confronting stuff. If you claim to love God, but don't love your brothers and sisters, you're a liar. 
You see, when we rest in God's love, He equips us and it's His love at work in our lives flowing out of us that flows to those around us. It equips you to love those who you find hard to love. You see, when you'd rather wallow in your loathing, you are called to be loving. And so in order for us to grow up in our salvation, Peter instructs us to be, to exercise self-control, to be obedient children and to show sincere love. And you see, our salvation is a gift that's been given to us. There's nothing you can do to earn that gift except call on Jesus as your Lord. It's been given to us freely and we've freely received a new life into a living hope. But you see, just like a famous musician or a famous sports star, they might have been born with a gift, but they're never going to reach their full potential unless they continue to grow in that gift. Right, unless they continue to exercise that gift. If they were just to use their gift without exercising it, without honing it, without, without practicing it, they're never going to reach the highest level. It takes the initial gift, but then also the maturing of that gift. In the same way, Peter calls us to be self-controlled, obedient, and loving. And then the scripture ends with this. It says, Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And um, as I've been doing some research on this, a bunch of commentators seem to agree that when Peter's talking about spiritual milk here, what he's talking about is the Word of God. Right, he's talking about the Scriptures, the, the Bible. And I've got an illustration for us this morning. Um, in full honesty, I've stolen this from one of our other pastors at Gateway and I don't tend to use, um, I don't tend to use illustrations very often because I get distracted at the best of times. So we're going to see how this goes. Um, this is milk, if you, in case you can't see from the back. Um, we've got some milk here this morning. Um, I've actually gone off milk recently, just in case you were wondering. Um, I work with Andrew, our campus pastor, and Donna, our kids' pastor, and they both have really fancy coffee orders. Like, Andrew will have, like, this flat white with sugar and syrup and caramel, vanilla, who knows? Donna will have essentially a bounty where she'll have a mocha with coconut milk. It smells good, tastes horrendous. And um, I would always just order a flat white, so I've decided to be a bit fancy. I'm on an almond milk latte now, if anyone wants to buy me a fancy coffee. Um, but that's neither here nor there. We've got some milk here this morning, and I want to almost illustrate to us, I reckon, this, this spiritual battle that each of us face. And so I want us to take this glass of milk, and it kind of represents the pure spiritual milk, right? It represents the Word of God. It rec represents um, the Scriptures. And you see, I reckon the, the trick of the enemy and what the enemy tries to do is he tries to steal us away from this nourishing milk. He tries to rob us from it, right? And I reckon sometimes we expect him to do that in a real obvious way. Like we'll be able to see it coming. Like we'll expect the ways that maybe he'll offer us a, a glass of Coke instead of the milk and we're like, hey, that's not milk. I don't want that. But I don't reckon that's how the enemy, he does work like that, but I reckon another way that he works is he can be really, really tricky sometimes and sneaky, right? He's a serpent. And I wonder if sometimes the way that he stunts our growth and the way he stunts us growing up in our salvation is that he takes our spiritual milk and he just begins to sweeten it a little bit. This is chocolate syrup, by the way, not barbecue sauce. Right? He just begins to sweeten it a little bit. And you see, you look at both of these, they still look the same, don't they? This one still looks like milk, 
still smells like milk. It probably still tastes like milk. Maybe it's just a, a little bit sweeter. And so I reckon what that looks like for us is we know what it means to crave and drink spiritual nourishment. We know what it looks like to crave spiritual milk, but sometimes that's hard. And so we're like, well, I'm just going to make it a little bit sweeter for myself. I know what the Bible's called me to do. I know what it means to live differently. But man, if I could just tell this one lie, that'll make my life a whole lot easier. Man, if I could just have that one lustful thought, it'll help me get through the day. If I just had that one moment of pride and arrogance, it's not going to really change who I am. And the enemy begins to sweeten what is spiritual nourishment. He begins to sweeten how we're supposed to live. You know, sometimes sitting in God's Word and living as Christians is hard. And maybe sometimes it's not all that appealing to... And we, we, we tell ourselves, it's going to be easier if I just don't have to tithe. Or it's going to be easier if I don't have to give of myself. Or it's going to be easier if I can just indulge in this one little thing. And I reckon day by day, we just begin to sweeten what this spiritual nourishment looks like. You see, and we do it day by day. It's gradual. And maybe we don't notice that it's happening at first, but... Over time, when we look at this, you can see it down the bottom, but over... T- Man, this is full. This is dangerous as... Oh, no. This is, a, this is why I don't do... Anyway. Can you see that there's chocolate in the bottom of that now? Yeah, okay, great. Oh, man. This is dangerous. Okay. So over time... <laughs> You're eventually drinking... Oh, I've got syrup on me too. Far out. (laughs) Over time, you're eventually drinking a different flavour of milk. And you know what happens when you start drinking this flavour of milk? Eventually, you begin to lose your appetite and you lose your taste for regular milk. Even though you know that regular milk is going to be better for you, even though you know that it's going to nourish you, you still choose to drink the sweetened milk. It, goes, it just goes down a little better. It just tastes a little bit better. It's, I've got to stop touching that. Let me put this on. It just tastes a little bit better. And I wonder if this is sometimes what happens in our spiritual lives. Because of the ways that we indulge our sinful flesh, maybe you've lost some of your craving for what it looks like to drink spiritual milk. But I reckon this morning, God is inviting us to reawaken our craving and thirst for fresh, pure spiritual milk. Something that's not spoiled with sweetness but an an invitation to enjoy the simple pleasure of a glass of milk. And you see, one commentary I read said that perhaps the reason that we don't crave spiritual milk is because we've become so full on the milk that the world has to offer. We've lost all of our hunger because we've drunk all of this. We don't have any more space for this. And so what do we need to do? And I think for some of us, it's actually just an addiction that needs to be broken. And with that comes pain, with that comes hurt as well. But you see, when we recognise that this sweet milk isn't good for us, it doesn't have the lasting benefits, we begin to realise we need to change something in our lives. We need a difference. You need to break the cycle. We need to cut it out. And at first, that's a really difficult process, right? Maybe when you drink the pure spiritual milk, maybe when you sit down and read your Bible, maybe when you spend time in the Word, it just tastes bland. Now, maybe it's hard to drink. It's, it's, it's a little bit boring. But as you drink it each time, day after day, eventually your taste begins to change. 
People who would, who've made the switch from Coke to Coke Zero or to Pepsi Max would know if you go and have a glass of regular Coke again, it's just too sweet. It's like it's sickly sweet. You see, our taste begins to change and day by day, your cravings change as well. So you begin to crave for your spiritual milk. And I put this away. You see, in the Scripture, it says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And the Lord is good, right? Can I hear an amen? Amen. The Lord is good. You see, Peter is writing to people who have already received their salvation. They've already entered into this process of sanctification. So they know and they can taste and see that the Lord is good. So that when they walk through the trials, when they live in a culture that tells them to live differently, they can live there still knowing that God is good. When the storms come, they know that God is good. So Peter says, because you know that God is good, crave pure spiritual milk. And in that, you will grow up in your salvation. And so this morning, I reckon some of us almost need to kickstart and and step into that graving by tasting and seeing that God is good again, by reminding your spirit of His faithfulness and of His goodness. And so that's how I want us to land our service this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. He says, because you know that the Lord is good, out of that you will crave for pure spiritual milk. And in that, you will grow up. And so for some of us this morning, it's my prayer that as we sing this song, as you remember God's goodness, it would be the kickstart that you need, the revival you need, whether big or small in your heart, to set you back on track for craving pure spiritual milk. That it would set you back on track for growing up in your salvation. And I I, I recognise that there's seasons in life that we can walk in where it becomes hard for us to declare that God is good where it becomes hard to see that, maybe because of your personal situation or your own personal journey, it's hard maybe to sing the words of this song that just claim that I'm gonna sing of your goodness, God, and you've been faithful. So sometimes that's hard for us. And I wanna encourage you this morning, if that's you, if you're sitting in one of those seasons where maybe it's hard for you to express the goodness of God, be encouraged by watching your brothers and sisters do that. Lean on them, lean on their faith, lean on their understanding of God's goodness for this morning. Because you see, something happens when we can stand here and say that, God, I know You are good even though my circumstances don't look like it. God, I know that You are good even though I'm walking through this trial or even though I know in this storm. You see, when we can declare that God is good in those moments, what happens is our perspective changes. Instead of seeing what's in front of us, instead of seeing the challenge, the trial, we actually just begin to see God. And, and man, everything falls in comparison to God, doesn't it? Everything fails in comparison to God. And so my hope for us this morning is that if you are sitting in that season of not being able to declare God's goodness, that as we sing this song, as you witness the faith of your brothers and sisters as the team lead us, that you would be reminded again of His goodness, that even in your situation, He is still good. And out of the declaration of His goodness, a revival will happen in your heart where you begin to crave this spiritual milk, where you can live as, as self, it's a life of self-control. You can live a life of an obedient child. You can live a life of loving those around you sincerely. And so as we wrap up our service this morning, we're just going to sing this song. In your heart, allow your perspective to change. Allow your heart to say, God, you are good. Come on, let's sing this song together. We hope you've been blessed by this message. 
We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.